You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Welcome to the Week Ahead podcast with Rachel and Chuck. Chuck, you have had uh, quite a week last week. Uh, tell me about your trip to the Iron Range. We haven't really had a chance to talk a lot about that. <laughs> no, we didn't. Um, that, that was, it, it was actually fantastic. Um, you know, it, it, even though it was very close to home, it's, uh, it, it's a place I don't get to often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at, at its closest, it's about two hours north of where I live. It's two hours north of Brainerd. And at the furthest, it's almost three hours to the, the far side of the range. I, I've been up there, you know, many, many times working as an engineer, working as a planner, and of course, vacationing. But this was a very intimate kind of look and an intimate kind of interaction. And I just loved it. You know, we 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 came up with this notion of the curbside chat plus of, of essentially mixing together the media stuff that we do uh with the upfront engagement and the on the ground engagement and then uh, you know the the follow up and i have to say I, we kind of had a notion of how this would work it, it's exceeding my expectations it's been really great the audiences were great we reached the right people uh, the enthusiasm was great. I've been going through some of the before and after survey data that we collected. Oh, We're really, awesome. yeah, changing a lot of minds, kind of opening up the dialogue and the conversation, really. And yeah, it was, it was quite infectious. And actually, as the week went on, it got more and more so. So yeah, I, I, what a what a fantastic time. Good. Now you put on, I don't know how many events, 10, 15 plus, what can you pick a favorite? Um, well, uh, I, I, it it was, it was kind of related to our iron range events, but at, at the end of the week, I actually did, uh, get to go to Duluth, um, for the mayor's bike ride, uh, which was really fun. It was an absolute blast. And then that, afternoon did a curbside chat and my best friend was there, um, which I, I rarely, you know, I rarely get like really close friends who are not mm-hmm. planners and, you know, not, not professionals, not in this. He's uh, just like a good friend, uh, who is, has, you know, him and I played, grew up playing music together. So this is not his kind of core thing. And it was just, I think that was my favorite moment of the week just to be able to see him and, and have him be part of it. Have I have you to seen say, Strong Towns in Action before or not? No, no, no. I, oh, I know he listens okay. to the podcast and uh, tunes into some of the other stuff, but no. Um, Mike, <laughs> if you're listening, it made my day to uh, to have you there. I, I also have to say, um, I've been to the downtowns of Hibbing and Virginia before, uh, but the, the idea of we did walking tours in both of those uh, with people and to be able to walk them and kind of take a real intimate, gritty, you know, close look at, at the downtowns and the surrounding neighborhoods and, and talk to people who are there about them and kind of, you know, share things through our eyes and then hear from them through theirs. That was probably my favorite 
thing we did all week. That, that was probably the, the most fun and rewarding for me personally. Did you just kind of walk around and like make observations about the current situation or talk about like what could be done to improve it or ask for input from people who live there? How did those work? Um, both, you know, all, all of those really, uh, a, a lot of it was me standing there saying, okay, through my eyes, this is what I'm seeing. And let me explain to you in detail. And for a lot of people, this isn't stuff that they've really stopped to, to look at or ponder before. So it's, it's new. Um, we then, you know, have the conversation of, okay, now that you see this, you know, this either really good thing or this real deficiency, how do we deal with that? What do we do? How do we build on it? How do we fix it without a lot of money? And I, I, you know, by the end of both of those conversations, we were getting to places along the street and I would say, okay, your turn. Tell me what you're seeing. Tell me what you would do. And I, I think the great part of the conversation was that by the end, they're seeing things differently and they're coming up with different ideas. And I, I think that was the, you know, that was the really cool part about it. I have to apologize to everybody when we're there. I'm like, you know, you, you're going on this walk on the sidewalk with me. Understand that I live a tormented life because I don't, you know, I'm not able to just pass by this stuff and ignore it. I actually see it and pick up on it. And if you go on this trip, you will not be able to ignore it either. Mm. Um, but everyone does, and, and they all seem to get a lot out of it. And, and I have to say, at the end of the day, those might be the most effective things we do in terms of, of opening people's eyes. I was really impressed from my perspective. You know, I didn't get to go to the Iron Range with you guys, but um, I was connected to a lot of people up there in advance of the trip, got to do a bunch of interviews and conversations with people, and those ended up on our website and on the podcast last week. So I encourage everyone to check those out. But while I was having those conversations, I was really impressed. I guess I was a little biased going in and thought, you know, these people are in a rural-ish area. Uh, they're not going to be super aware of like strong towns concepts, but I was really surprised that a lot of people were already tuned in to some of these issues. Like we had Leah Calgaro, who's like renovating a building downtown, you know, that's like small scale developer stuff. She's just doing it. She hasn't like attended any workshops or anything. She just bought a building and is doing it. So those kind of things were really inspiring to see too. But I'm glad that con that Strong Towns was able to go and like further that conversation and expand it to reach a large group of people. So well, I hope that also what we did and Leah Leah is a great example because she is fantastic. I mean, here, the cool thing is that I met her and instantly saw like this person not only gets it but is kind of a visionary kind of person. And she went on the walking tour in Virginia with us. And then I found out later that you had interviewed her. And oh, you didn't even realize her. that? No, That's I didn't. Funny. I didn't realize it up front when I, when I first met her. And I thought, oh, this is someone we really should have profiled. And then, wow, you did. Um, yeah, I, that was Jason, that connection. So. Oh, it was great. I, I think that um, one, of the, one of the cool side effects of all this is that we gave... A, a, a certain and our, our giving, you know, continuing to to kind of further this too, some legitimacy to people that I I think you know in a community like that sometimes are are marginalized, mm -hmm. and I don't mean marginalized like ostracized, but 
marginalized in the sense that people look and say, well, there's kind of an odd person who's, you know, choosing to live in a way that I don't. And, you know, all right, I'll tolerate that. You know, that's okay. But it, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. what, what we try to do is say like, look, these are the pioneers that are bringing back your city. And when we start showing them some of the financial stuff and then say, here's the type of investments that pay off for you. And, you know, if you really want this place to become uh, a strong, healthy, prosperous community, these are the kind of people you have to create room for. We, we wound up talking a lot last week about people who color outside the lines and that for some, I've, I've not used that phrase before in, in talking about this stuff, but it just fit up there. Mm-hmm. And we, so we talked a lot about essentially making room in our dialogue for people who color outside the lines and how important that is and how those are the people who are really going to change uh, for the better the economy throughout the entire Iron Range. And there was a, I, you know, I, I sense people got that. Like, like we had some of those people at our meetings anyway. Uh, you know, they were really a part of our dialogue. But I think also we had enough, uh, you know, people who color inside the lines there who, who also got that, like respected, like, oh, okay, yes, we need the person who I might not, you know, think is, is you know, I might deem as a little bit odd, who's willing to take this big risk and, and move downtown and live in this place that I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But wow, when they do, look at what happens. I, I like what happens and it's great for everybody. So let's encourage more of this. Another aspect of last week was your series of posts on Strong Towns 101 and that um, one of your first ones, Walmart or Small Mart, ended up being our, our most read post from last week. Um, and then it de- generated a lot of conversation too and you uh, jumped in a lot on those comments, which I'm impressed that you had the time to do that. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know as I did have the time. I, last <laughs> week was like 15 hour days for five days straight, and then be, because I hung out with Mike a little bit Friday night, I didn't get home until like 2 a.m. So yeah, this was one of those catch up with your sleep weekends. But yeah, you know, yeah. We, we had some those Strong Towns 101s were really important to me because. You know, I, I think it's one thing to come up and, and highlight a bunch of, you know, really great stuff that's going on. Uh, but at this, you know, the central to our message is that these kind of things make strong economic sense too. you know, the the people who color outside the lines, the kind of businesses they open, the kind of places they operate in. These are the high returning investments. And so being able to connect not only with the kind of softer side of, of the stuff we talk about, but then tie it into the math and the hard stuff uh, and, and present those together as a package. I think that is the, to me, that's the difference. That's the difference that we make in a conversation on the ground. You know, you can't, you can't dismiss this stuff because it's fluff because it's not fluff. It's the hard math that really drives uh, the economy. Mm Mm-hmm. So today, uh, your post this morning continued the conversation about Minnesota and you wrote about, um, some reflections sort of from your Duluth trip and specifically about whether engineers should be designing streets or not. Uh, tell me about that. Well, the, the question was presented to me in a very straightforward way by someone who works with, you know, an MPO, the people who spend the federal 
highway money or, you know, or or decide what projects are priority projects. And she was very sincere. She said, you know, how can we get students in school to, you know, learn how to design streets so they're not just for cars? How how do we do this? How do we get engineers to think differently? And I think her notion, and, and, you know, it was, came from a a kind and genuine place, but I, I think her notion to me was kind of the old school notion of that this is just simply an education problem. Like if we teach engineers how to do things differently, uh, they'll do things differently. And, and I, I have to say, I, I had that same belief, uh, you know, a decade or more ago and have come to the realization that this is, these are not engineers. These are, these are cultural issues. You know, we're, we're, we could, we could get, you know, a, a sizable percentage of the engineering profession really pining to do something different. Mm-hmm. And if we culturally are not prepared to do something different, if we're not demanding something different ourselves, it's, it's not going to amount to much. And so we talked uh, quite a bit about kind of the role of engineers and, you know, I was able to pull out the roads and streets and the difference between the two and just say, look, when we're building roads, engineers are brilliant. They really know what they're doing. Uh, in fact, it, it's politicians and the public that tends to screw things up. But when we get to streets where we're trying to build wealth, we're trying to have this uh, ecosystem that involves uh, human interaction and human relations, economic, social, cultural, political, these are things, these are realms that engineers don't function well in. Not only because their training is such, but just because, you know, no single individual can grasp everything that's going on in a place like this. It doesn't lend itself well to mathematical rigor. It doesn't lend itself well to, to code books and regulations. And so the, the follow-up question she had was, what do we do? And I said, well, we're riding here on the streets of Duluth. Uh, you know, go out and try things. I mean, get some paint, get some temporary bollards, get some hay bales and straw and, and come out and try things and then see what works, you know, come up with a theory, uh, go out and try it and then see what happens and continue to do that until the indicator species, until people start to show up and, and now you're on your way to building wealth. I, I know that's in some ways, to me, it's so straightforward and common sense. But I, I, when I step back, I realize like, in the context of our conversation, it's a radical, radical proposition that street design should be done by everyone. It is a ongoing process that is not to be handed over to engineers and kind of outsourced, but something that we have to all do block by block continuously in, in the places we live. <laughs> Yeah, I'm wondering if this article is going to go in the category of your uh, sprawl and your smart growth uh, <laughs> controversial pieces from the last couple of weeks, but we'll see what the response is. I don't know. You know, it's funny because we do have a lot of engineers who read our stuff. Uh, they tend to be on the, um, you know, on the scale of, of sympathetic. So, you know, they, they tend to understand what we're talking about and, and be cool with it. I'm not suggesting we, you know, unemploy engineers and not have them do things. But I, I think that, you know, when we're talking about a street. If an engineer had 5% or 10% of the input, 
And, you know, 90% of the input came from other places, particularly observation on how people are using or not using the street. I, I, I think that that would be a pretty fair balance. That, that doesn't say engineers have zero role, but they certainly, you know, right now we give it to engineers and they have 90% plus of the input on what is done. And I, I just, that's way out of proportion on a complex street. I happen to also be in northern Minnesota this week for fun. I was visiting a friend who has recently moved up to Grand Marais, Minnesota, which is a small town on Lake Superior. Um, it's kind of an artist-centric place. Um, it relies a lot on tourism from what I can tell. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people up there with, like, their lake house or their cabin or whatever. But there's also this contingent of people that live up there locally. And it was interesting to hear from her perspective now that she lives there about kind of some of the local issues and things that I was never aware of. You know, I've, I've been there plenty of times as a kid, sort of on like a summer trip or whatever. And I'm sure maybe you've traveled there for pleasure as well, but it was interesting hearing some of the things that are issues up there. Um, some of the like more rural area issues. A couple of quick things about Grand Marais. Yeah. I, I did some work up there about a decade ago. Um, some planning work back before the strong towns days. And I just loved it. I mean, it, yeah, it it's is, beautiful, oh, it is as remote as you can get really. Um, you know, you, you hit Duluth, which is two hours North of Minneapolis, St. Paul. And then you go four hours uh, up the North side of, of Lake Superior and you're a long ways from anywhere. Yeah, the the economics and the dynamics of the city just change because of the isolation. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, that my friend was talking about, she's, you know, she's a young person living by herself and that it is extremely hard to find housing for a single person there. Like she just wants, you know, a, a studio or a one bedroom apartment. And she's currently living in like a cottage in somebody's backyard that doesn't even have running water. And she's paying like $500 a month for it. Um, it's just this like weird arrangement where there's tons of empty homes. They're like people's summer homes that they come up to every weekend, but yet there's like not affordable housing for somebody who doesn't want to like buy a house up there. It's a little strange, too, because part of the Grand Marais experience is the, uh, I'll say the people who have kind of checked out of the rat race, in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, Grand Marais has the highest, it, it did a decade ago at least, the highest percent of PhDs per capita Whoa. of any city in the country. That. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of just like really genius people who have said, this is kind of a silly world. I'm going to go up here and, you know, live in this artist colony or, you yeah, know, do, write do, my novel, do my own thing. Yeah. My sculptures or whatever. Right. So there's, there's this, there's this, um, tension there between the people who have gone there to, you know, get away and the people who are there who essentially have three months out of the year, maybe four or five, if they can extend it in some way. To eke out a living on people who they can convince to drive, you know, six hours north from Minneapolis, St. Paul to, to come to the lake. One of the things that they did, and I wasn't real keen on it, but, you know, it was, it was their approach, is they took a bunch of their old hotels, the, the places that 
would have rented in the summer. And then in the winter you could have gotten for, you know, 200 bucks a month because there's mm. nobody there. Th- these, they, they took these and they, they tore that largely tore them down and converted them into what are ownership like condo units. So they're, 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 they're condo units, not in like the real high end sense, but they're for this, for that city, they are, they're fairly like expensive condo units that go into a rental pool. And then if people want, they can rent them out or they can just keep them as their own private place. And the theory was that that would create more high end units that would bring more people to town. I don't know as it's worked out that way. In fact, I strongly suspect that it has worked out the opposite, which is the, the problem you're alluding to, which is now you have kind of a, a floor on the the affordability. I mean, it's, it's you, you've got to have a, a minimum ante that was much higher than what it was before, but you're not. You're also not getting the high end spenders there on a weekly basis the way that they had hoped. Right. Yeah. There were some other interesting like rural things that I wasn't really aware of. Like, I mean, a bunch of the houses that are like outside of the city limits will be on like a septic system. My friend also said that they don't have really trash pickup there or like you have to pay a private garbage truck to come pick up your trash. These were just like interesting uh, solutions. Did you you run into the burn barrel phenomenon then? No, what is that? Just like burn trash in your backyard? Yeah, well, I, I mean, okay, growing up, this will show you how rural, you know, my existence was growing up. I mean, growing up, yeah. where, where I lived was very rural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You were on a farm, right? Um, I, I was on a farm when I was five, um, but up the road was, um, was like the 80s. 70s and 80s subdivisions. So the first kind of stuff on the out, that was maybe like three miles away, two miles, yeah, three miles away. Um, but people in those places, I mean, like my, I remember my grandpa had a burn barrel where, you know, you would take your, essentially your non-compostable trash out mm-hmm. and uh, throw it in a barrel and when it got full, light it on fire. And that was the way that, you know, you got rid of your garbage because there wasn't garbage pickup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, it just seems bizarre. Um, and in a way, it, it is kind of bizarre. But on, on the other way, you know, we, <laughs> uh, they did a lot of composting. They did a lot of, you know, you didn't have a lot oh, of waste yeah. because you had to deal with it yourself. So th- there's there's pluses and minuses to it. I mean, it does seem a little, uh, you know, barbaric and, and backward. On the other hand, it, it's, you know, when you step back, it's a little barbaric and backward to just throw everything away indiscriminately too. Um, yeah. I mean, I get clearly the city or county has decided like it's not worth it for them to pay for garbage pickup for this huge area and have a big truck driving around for hours, you know, well, out to these little cabins and stuff. Yeah. Th- this is part of, I mean, part of my experience and part of, I think, why maybe things seem more obvious and and intuitive to me than to others is that, you know, I've lived a a, a good portion of my life in this place where like things that didn't make sense, we, we didn't do because you Mm -hmm. just didn't have the money to do it. So, you know, garbage collection up in Grand Marais, if you were going to do it and have it make financial sense, you'd have to charge people, you know, $300, $400 a month. Well, 
no one's going to pay that for garbage. So mm-hmm. you just don't do it. Um, this is why, you know, in my early days of engineering, when we were doing projects and we were assessing trailer houses worth $25,000 and we were assessing them $40,000, $50,000 for utilities, I, I just like, the, the, where's this money coming from? This doesn't make any sense. I, I think that, um, you know, it, that kind of broad experience or the, the, the idea of kind of living in places like that has made me maybe more sensitive to the absurdity of some of the stuff we do uh, mm-hmm. than, than a lot of people. And, you know, Grand Marais, I, if you want to be in a place that I find to be really kind of homey and fun in a rural way, Go to Grand Marais in uh, January or February. Is um, anything open? Oh yeah, no, but but it's all the the only things that are, okay. It's it, it is like Grand Marais in the summer without all the ostentatious stuff to try to you know get your tourist dollar. Yeah. So like if you want like the real like. You want to go eat real northern Minnesota food and go hang out with real northern Minnesota people? Go there in January and, you know, people will ride their snowmobile in. They'll sled in. They'll, uh, you know, be bundled Head up. over and, to the VFW. Oh, yeah. Th- this is like the authentic experience. And I, that's, what, that's the part that I find to be really fun. I mean, that's the part that I grew up with, you know. Yeah. I always really appreciate the opportunity to visit places that are different from where I live and where I grew up because it provides good new perspective on things. So if you leave Duluth and start going up the North shore, the, the best food, the best places to hang out, um, the, the, you know, the best kind of urban scene from North of Duluth is Grand Marais. Yeah. Um, the restaurants there are spectacular. I mean, they're just... Yeah, that's definitely true. They're better than what we've got here in Brainerd, you know? Even when you count, like, the resorts and stuff where they've got, you know, a little bit of an eclectic mix and some good chefs and stuff, I think the stuff in Grand Marais is better. So did you get a chance to do any reading last week or this weekend? Um, well, I, I, our Anti-Fragile Book Club was supposed to start this week. We were kind of pushing that off yeah. one week. Because I, you know, I did all the Jane Jacobs reading and then uh, had to spend like last week getting ready for this. Um, but I've been doing uh, Anti-Fragile. I got through my reading assignment. I have like a long list of discussion questions that I'm going to ping out to everybody and, and try to get people engaged with today. And we'll, we'll pick that up next week. Uh, so, yeah, I've been, I've been doing Anti-Fragile uh, quite a bit. And mm-hmm. gosh, that's fun. I mean, it's. It's one of these things where I, I'm reading the book and I'm like, okay, hang on. And I'll go download like four interviews with Nassim Taleb and just listen to them all again. Um, there's always new stuff and there's always like new insights that come to me. And I just, I'm so thrilled to be sharing this with literally what's turning out to be 120 <laughs> of my closest friends. Uh, we have a ton of people who have signed up for this. So I'm excited to see what all the Strong Downs people come up with. Yeah, we should do a podcast about anti-fragile too sometime in the next few weeks. Yeah, I, you know, we're gonna have, give people an opportunity to write, and we're gonna give people an opportunity to uh, to be on some hangouts and and discuss this stuff. Um, let me see what emerges from that, and maybe we could do like a some kind of panel conversation here. Um, 
I, I don't want to be the only voice in this because I, I, I feel like there's a certain level of interpretation that, mm-hmm. you know, when, when other people sink their teeth into, they're going to see things that I don't. And that's kind of what I'm excited about, really. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention to our listeners this week, um, on Thursday at 11 a.m. Central, Yuri, our, uh, community builder will be hosting a Slack chat and that'll be kind of open-ended. So if you haven't gotten on Slack yet, uh, just go to strongtowns.org slash discussion board. I think it is. Anyway, um, you'll find it and then, uh, join us on Thursday at 11 a.m. Central to talk with Yuri or hop on now. And there's always a conversation happening. You can scroll to the bottom of, of any page on the site and there's a, a link to the discussion board. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, Slack is, you know, we got started with Slack uh, uh, earlier this year and I was optimistic on it. I thought this would be great. It, it is not only made my email triage problem a, a lot better, but it, it's allowed, I mean, the level of conversation that's going on right now is fantastic. And, and I love being able to just interact one-on-one directly with, with our members and with other people who are interested in our stuff. Um, yeah. And then also it's not intimidating at all. Oh no, it's nice. so, it's so smooth and easy. I, I just am really grateful that we made this move. As much as I don't want to like it because there's so much hype around Slack right now, it, it is mostly worth that. It's it's pretty great platform. Yeah. So everyone should join us in there. Um, okay, we're going to wrap up for today, but I'll mention briefly that if you haven't had a chance to rate us on iTunes, again, we really appreciate if you just take a couple seconds to give us a star rating on there and perhaps leave a comment if you'd like to. That really helps um, get this podcast in front of more ears and get the word out about Strong Towns. Do you, do you want to give it more than a star rating? Do you want to give it like a multiple star rating? Well, hopefully five okay. or four maybe, but uh, some amount of stars that's more than three would be great. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, people, people have actually been going and doing that now, haven't they? Yeah. It warms my heart to read their comments. So oh, that is a so bonus. Nice. Sweet. All right, everyone. Well, have a great week, and we'll be back with another podcast on Thursday. Hey. All right. Take care, everyone. Nice to talk to you, by the way. Yeah, you too. I'm I feel like, you know, I feel like we were out of touch last week, and it's just nice to hear your voice again, so. Yeah, for sure. All right. Take care, everybody. Okay. Bye. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org.